Hey everyone, welcome back to our podcast. It's your host, Sivam. And today's episode is going to be an exciting deep dive into the world of prompt engineering and LLMs. We have got a fantastic guest lined up for you today. Joining us, the incredible Satvik from Chat. I have been following Satvik's inside content on LinkedIn for quite some time now. And I can't wait for all of you to hear firsthand from the man himself. So let's get started. Sadhvi, so how did you get into AI, specifically generative AI? Yeah, so I think there, there are two questions right there. So uh, mainly uh, getting into AI, that was mainly, uh, that was completely done in my college. So uh, at the end of my second year, I still didn't have any clarity on uh, what is the field I want to work on. I was doing an electrical engineering degree, but I'm, I was definitely sure that that's, that is not where I'm going to uh, spend my future. Um, I just luckily stumbled upon uh, an internship opportunity that was happening in our research park. And uh, so this this company person, he, he knows that we don't know anything about AI, but he just wanted to give us a chance for two month inter internship. So that's completely out of the blue. And he just explained what is ML, what is computer vision. And so that's when I really uh, fell in love with the fact that uh, I personally love math. So uh, it's like all of the maths that I've ever learned uh, till that point, uh, uh, like from linear algebra to calculus, uh, to probability, uh, everything comes into action in ML. So that's when I knew, okay, okay this is something that's really interesting. And uh, if I can make a career out of it, that's really great. So this is almost like maybe five, six years back. So that's when I've started. So I've, I've learned a lot in that internship. I wasn't able to build something really useful for them but i learned a lot uh, a lot uh, in that two months and then i took a lot of andrew and g andrew and g course obviously and then i took a lot of courses at my college and coursera it was completely purely self-learned uh, uh, so there's no official degree or anything that says i am a data science something but it was completely self-learned uh, to the point where i'm uh, working on uh, right now and uh, Coming to generative AI, uh, so this is something this, I, I personally don't work on this at my current company. Uh, that's a completely different uh, stack. So we are, there we work on recommender systems. Uh, but here, after ChatGPT came uh, into action last year, so I was, uh, once we got the API access, uh, uh, I think this is one of the most uh, uh, like used apps I have used maybe in the last one, one and a half, one year or so using ChatGPT extensively, know a lot about what makes it uh, follow our instructions. And then I've built a few chatbots, uh, uh, retrieval augmented generated chatbots. So I have a good context on like, uh, what, what do you need to include in the prompt to get uh, the, the right outputs? And then GPT-4 came and then there's no looking back, right? So I think it's really exciting times just last two three days back we had the open AI dev day and uh, all of them have been released the uh, api access for the, even the vision based model i'm really excited to build a few things maybe over the weekend yeah maybe we can talk that's, about this sometime that's yeah. that's great so can you tell us more about the chatbot project that we have currently involved yes. in yeah so this is a personal project uh, so the idea is to, so if you're doing any course, right, any UDMA course, Coursera course, uh, well, definitely uh, AI chatbot there is of huge value because a learner 
uh, we cannot assign teaching assistance to every learner and it's it's it doesn't scale it's not possible so uh, what if we have a chatbot where you're uh, looking into a video and then you have some doubt and you want to ask the chatbot so now this is not just generic chat gpt where you just type your doubt to get your output uh, but this also has the context of the course and the particular video that you're looking into and the course uh, that you're looking at. So that adds huge value and also makes the uh, model less hallucinate. So if the course that you're looking into it is like very, very specific, say something about like some biology, biochemistry or something or something which is not generally known to ChatGPT, but uh, your uh, the chatbot I have built is retrieval augmented generator or rag that is called. So the main idea is like use the course and content as well to generate your answer. So this will make sure that the answer will always be in the context. So this will be great for the learners to uh, clarify their quick doubts. But that's just one use case. So you can also create questions out of these, right? So automatically you can generate questions out of this so that the user can uh, revise the concepts. So rather than just looking at your notes, maybe you can ask the model to generate some questions and then uh, try to answer them. If you can't answer it, it is all, also ready to explain you why were you wrong, why were you right. So all of these things uh, come into picture. So uh, something like what Khan Academy has released um, when GPT-4 was uh, released, or maybe slightly before that, I forgot its name. I think it's Khan gpt i'm not sure but uh something on those lines uh, that's that's what i've been working on yeah that's that's really interesting use case that we have just mentioned so what aspect of this project excites you most uh, so the general the generic sense of this right so i mean now this is just at the initial level so uh personally if we really think about it so there are a lot of course uh, courses out there, lots of them on YouTube, the lots of people are creating their own courses. Um, maybe they want to get some revenue out of it. So something of that sort, this could be a full-fledged project. Maybe some people are already working on it. Uh, but uh, the idea is that it is so generic that uh, there's no restriction. So you are indexing uh, on your existing data and uh, enabling it for users to ask so you have say you are a youtube same the same same example right uh, you have say i don't know how many uh, episodes of the podcast have been done so maybe there are say 15 episodes 20 episodes so uh, now anyone wants to come and learn from this podcast but doesn't want to listen to everything right and so say 20 hours of content you index on that data and then person asks uh, what is the uh, three most important things that uh, Satvik has said in, in his call, or how do I build a chatbot uh, using this and this? And then maybe it's there in our podcast, uh, and then you will get the relevant answer, right? So that uh, unlocks huge value both for the users and also for the content creators as well. Uh, so there's a new way of reaching out uh, to the users and more accessible way and much more scalable than you personally answering uh, to the comments or mails. That's that's great actually. So as we have mentioned, a wide variety of tasks that we have to. So what do you think? Like, what kind of skill sets and AI teams would have in today's scenario, especially to build a great generative AI product? Um, talking in context to what I have just said, right? So this yeah. uh, personally doesn't require. Uh, frankly, I will say not much on the AI side of things. Uh, you just need to do 
um, on the software side of things, definitely you'll have to build the interface and then how do you connect with the APIs and uh, how do you react to those responses and by the users. We want to add safety on top of it, all that. But on the AI side of things, uh, it's more about just uh, writing the right prompt or choosing the right model. So I think uh, there's no AI aspect as such because we're just using these AI APIs. So it's more about the prompt, completely about the prompt. Try it with all the different scenarios that you think uh, might occur in the real time, and then uh, tune your prompt accordingly, and that that should be fine. So maybe your use case doesn't require GPT-4. Maybe your ChatGPT, the basic version, the 3.5, might be more than just enough. So only those things uh, are needed for the initial setup, and maybe eventually, if you scale really high, and then we have a lot of users, maybe then you can think about fine-tuning or your own model, but that's really, really far away. Uh, and the initial stages, it's always better okay. just to stick with any APIs. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Uh, I do. So basically, the prompt engineering. So according to you, what is the best way to do prompt engineering? Mm, I mean, or I'm, how did you do that during your project? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah that, again, this is the restricted experience that I have so I the main idea is like how do you use these system prompts right the chat GPT 3.5 or GPT 4 all of them have these system prompts uh, everything else is user or assistant uh, you send it to it so the system prompt uh, we have seen that it really follows it uh, as as much as possible uh, unless it's like very strict JSON structuring of sorts maybe it might fail but uh, if it's free flow text output that you're getting out of it uh, the system prompt really really does help and maybe sometimes adding capital letters uh, helps but uh, most of it uh, gpt4 is really really better much better in following instructions so uh, i have uh, just created a simple prompt which can help you in coding uh, when you're solving some coding problems as well i've written a prompt which um, <clears throat> which will completely not make it answer the question. So it will only just uh, help you in that direction. So GPT-4 is really, really good. Even if you ask it hundreds of times, it will still not say if the prompt is right. So uh, I've seen that, uh, say, adding stuff in capital letters sometimes helps. And then uh, you also suggest what you are. So you suggest uh, that you are an expert in this particular thing. So you, you're helping, you're using it for your programming. You're using it for some C++ programming. So you say you are an expert in this. And you're doing some specific thing. Maybe you're working on recommender systems. So you'll say you're an expert. You're an expert in this, 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 and uh, also add that recommender system part. And then you have some structure to your input. So add that as well. So if your input is always going to be in a structure, so maybe give it a small example that this is the input and this is the expected output. So all these things uh, definitely help. And uh, <clears throat> and I think after that, once you have the initial um, basic things done, um, then you can always uh, try all the different types of inputs that you can get and then try to break it, try to break it as much as possible. And then once you find something that breaks it, then you modify your prompt uh, accordingly. Uh, I think that's it. Yeah. Okay. So as we have mentioned different scenarios there, you mentioned that for like for the specific scenarios, you are trying different types of prompts as well. So how do you identify these different scenarios? Uh, I think this is completely really specific to the use case that you are dealing with. So then in, in our case, so if, if it was in a chatbot based on your own code, 
the different scenarios are people just asking random questions so your your yeah. course is about some kinematics and then you just are asking who is the hero of this particular movie so then you just simply refuse to answer or anything out of it and not anything uh, you said maybe you have your own guidelines you can include that in your prompt or you can just say to refuse uh, if the question is asked out of context and uh, other than that so um, maybe the text you are having uh, so so what happens in rhetorical augmented generation drag is that when you ask a question we will all, uh, uh, we will search all the relevant data from our existing course data right so we index our whole data so there's a course on kinematics so you have a say uh, ncrt textbook one sub 30 40 pages of data and you uh, you build you get the embeddings out of those uh, out of those all 30 40 pages and you you store it somewhere so when the user asks any question you get the most relevant context out of those 30 40 pages and then that is sent along with your question to an llm uh, saying that this is the context and this is the question so the llm will definitely uh, look into that context and answer so uh, say in in the case that uh, very specific i think these are all very really uh, specific examples so something like uh, if the context has some questions inside it and then llm gets confused and uh, it answers those questions inside the context so and not answer the user questions that's where you have to uh, uh, take care of the input output uh, situation right so uh, when i mentioned that uh, you have to give some examples or sort also you can give an example that the context is this, this, this. It could have some questions as well. Maybe you can give it in your example. But uh, you you should only answer the user's question. You should not call, answer any other thing. So the user question will be mentioned at the end. You only answer that question. Uh, something like that. So again, this is completely uh, specific to your use case. You should think as a user. Uh, as a user. So there are two sides. So there's a good side of it where like you are the user. Uh, uh, you, Try all the possible scenarios of what a user can ask. And then there's a malicious user who is trying to break it, who is trying to uh, uh, use it for uh, things that is not intended to be used. Then uh, add some guard rates as well if you're releasing it into public. Yeah. Great. So uh, how, like in your case, in your project, how many scenarios did you come up with? Um, I think mostly were uh, mostly uh, the first iteration uh, is covered. So mo most of the scenarios are something like uh, like out of the context scenarios only. Like when they're asking something out of the box, out of the context of the course, then how do you uh, how do you tune the prompt to do that? And then the also the scenario where like I mentioned it that uh, the questions in the context uh, it happens so that for that question. The context that has been retrieved uh, from our vector DB has questions inside it. So, how do you structure the input um, in that um, scenario? <clears throat> and all the other cases are something like uh, you want the output in a in a particular format. So, you give them one or two uh, examples, and then only it will generally follow it. If you just uh, just ask it for a particular output, it might or might not follow it. But I think completely uh, system prompt. Um, very very clear instructions if possible give uh, one or two examples uh, with right input output formats this should work at least for ChatGPT and GPT-4 will definitely work ChatGPT 3.5 might fail in some cases uh, but uh, GPT-4 so, this will definitely work yeah. 
uh, any estimated number of the scenarios like okay like from around 100 scenarios you came up with in your first iteration um, um, any number no, that you would like to give the audience yeah not sure about this uh, again i think uh, this is completely uh, this is nothing to do with the uh, the AI side of things or how, how these models work. Right? This is more on the product side of things. Like you want some things to happen in a certain way if this kind of question is asked. So I think there's nothing like a magic number. So maybe your use case is really simple. You're building it for your own thing. Then maybe there's just only one or two scenarios <clears throat> for you. So I think that there's no number here. Uh, it should be completely based on who, who are you building this for? Uh, what is the use case? And you just think about all the scenarios. This is, it will be any, any, any number I give will be extremely specific <laughs> to what happens. So I, I think that's not useful. But uh, maybe, yeah. No. yeah. no, no, please. Yeah, no, no. I think that that's it. So on the prompt side of things, the easiest way to just try is everyone has, I think, uh, ChatGPT, Playground Access, you try. Um, Try with different models that are available out there uh, for GPT for access. I think you need to at least have a bill of one dollar or something, uh, and then you can access all the models. You can easily work around with the system prompts on the left side. Um, it's I don't know. I think many people don't use it, and uh, so maybe they miss out on this. So chat GPT obviously it is not free. You will be charged for the API access, but uh, for if you're using three point five, it will be ridiculously low. Uh, even to get to one dollar, you must be like two million tokens or something. It's a really crazy high number. Even for GPT four, uh, even to get to one or two dollars of well, it'll take uh, lots of lot of lots of tokens, close to maybe ten thousand, twenty thousand. I don't remember the number. They have updated the numbers now. So I think the easiest way is to go to a play playground, uh, fastly iterate on your uh, system prompt. Uh, and say temperature and uh, other variables that are out there in the playground. So playground is much more flexible than ChatGPT. Um, the just the user interface that uh, we get, or maybe any of the platform you're accessing. And like, what were the key prompt engineering challenges you faced like during your project? Yeah. So um, in the scenario like this, where it has to just clarify the doubts. Uh, mostly it works well, but if you want a case where you want to build a tutor of sorts, uh, where uh, the student asks a question and the intention is not to give the direct answer, you want him, uh, wanted to uh, get to a point where it is helping the user to get the answer, get to the answer. So if I ask what is the so and so, and then rather than just giving the answer. Uh, the model will help user think about it and get to the uh, exact answer. So that's where um, this is something I've been building for myself. So I want to uh, practice on coding skills uh, myself. And uh, I don't want to look at the direct answers, but uh, sometimes you get stuck. So the next best thing till now was to just see some solution videos. But then again, there you're not developing your own intuition. You're just understanding what someone else has done and just replicating it. So this is here is where GPT-4 was able to do really good. And with the right prompt, uh, it will help you uh, break down the problem and then uh, help you as a tutor, um, even better than maybe in some cases, uh, any tutor that you can get uh, online. And it has helped uh, me solve any lots of complex problems. So I've seen that ChatGPT, smaller models, ChatGPT 3.5 will not 
will not be able to follow the instructions that you say that like uh, never answer the question uh, just guide the user in the right direction 3.5 will not be able to do that it'll just answer it one or two times uh, after uh, you ask it but gpt4 will definitely not answer and it will even if you paste the answer from somewhere else, it'll also it'll still say that, okay, now let's think about how this answer has been created. And then let's get into explanation of that. So there, uh, so as more the more complex your instructions are, uh, you will be requiring uh, more of these more complex models. Uh, for the easier tasks where you're just getting some answer out of a question, some sort of a search engine sort of thing, or just answering questions. So, um, the, your basic prompts should work. Uh, you should not be facing much issues. Right, right. And like as you have been mentioning, like finding the right prompt. So how do you exactly do that? Like, are you finding the right prompt for every scenario, or there is like one fit, like one prompt which is working for almost all these scenarios? How is that? Uh, I think as the product gets more complicated, maybe we need uh, some sort of a routing mechanism to route to individual prompts or something. But uh, yeah, when I've been working, I, I try to make it only one prompt uh, for all uh, all the scenarios. But this might not be the case for like production ready stuff. Maybe the initial there is an initial LLM call, or maybe you have a classifier which will route it to the right uh, uh, right yeah. API call that you need to do right prompt something like when you call an IVR system, you ask it asks for a few numbers for this code here for this code here. So maybe you ask a question and then uh, it understands based on your question that this which is the right prompt for this and then uh, goes there. But uh, I have not personally worked <clears throat> on something like that. I used a single prompt to cover all scenarios. So one of the key thing is that evaluation of the generation, like generated output. So how do you evaluate generated output text from you? Yeah, I think this is a really this is a big problem. This is um, I have personally not uh, worked on this side of things. It's more uh, based on I try a few things and if it works, it works because this is not a production uh, ready thing. This is for my own use case or something. Uh, uh, or a POC of sorts, so we don't think about this. But uh, a good way to think about this again is to generate a small test data set yourself or using GPT-4 or something. Uh, you give uh, input output uh, scenario and maybe GPT-4 can generate it for you. Some test data set scenarios where in real world this can happen. And then maybe you can evaluate your model's responses on that uh, small test set that you've created. So when you're iterating, you're changing the models, you can always have a standard benchmark that you have created yourself. Uh, you check it on that particular data set. Uh, how well is the model uh, performing? Is it improving, is it decreasing? So in the case where, uh, <clears throat> say, uh, you're doubt-solving chatbot, so maybe you create a test a data set out of all the courses that you have, say you have 100 courses or whatever, mm -hmm. And then you have maybe some questions that um, you have some question bank of sorts. Uh, and then maybe you, you can use your system uh, to get the right answers and you also know the right answers. You can evaluate based on that. Uh, again, this is also something uh, generic evaluation might not work. Again, you need to build something that is specific to your use case as well, because something that is really good in some generic thing, but might not be useful at all for your use case. 
So all the generic benchmarks uh, are just uh, some data points, but uh, for your use case, you need to build a small test data set at least uh, and see if it is actually improving the performance, whatever changes that you've done, is it actually improving anything or is it not? Yeah, but I have not worked on it personally, so maybe you should look at other uh, sources for this. So any metric that you would like to share with our audience, like these are the generic metrics that they can use to evaluate their output? Um, I'm not sure about them. Uh, I've, I I don't remember some of the metrics that are used for LLM evaluation as well. I, I forgot the names. But uh, again, like I said, right, uh, if, if you're building for a particular use case, uh, unless you're building a new LLM from scratch or you're fine tuning an LLM uh, and you want to open source it for everyone, only then these benchmarks are useful. Uh, but if, if you're building for a particular use case, then uh, you need to create your own evaluation criteria and you have to define it yourself and do it. So, yeah, but I uh, maybe I can share it afterwards. I don't remember the metrics. Yeah. No, but it's so. How do you ensure you are up to date with the evolving landscape of this generative AI? Uh, it's mostly Twitter. I think Twitter is the only social media platform I use extensively. Uh, LinkedIn is just for uh, the professional side of things, but uh, Twitter is one where I follow lots of people who are constantly um, posting the actual researchers who write these papers and then. There are people who uh, write really good uh, summarization threads about it. Uh, so I think it's, it's really important to find the right set of people to follow. And there are a few uh, newsletters that uh, that are go around that are really helpful as well. And what skills can one take to become an expert in generative AI today? What are the skills that you need to do? I mean, that's that's a really broad question. I mean, uh, expert in generative AI in the sense, like if you're just talking about uh, people who can just, uh, who can get you the right prompt for your use case, that's just playing around with this. If you just play and spend enough time with this uh, models, you'll really, you'll develop a good, good intuition for that. You don't need to be expert and many things uh, you just need to know the basics but once you go into the area of where you're like uh, evaluating the systems and then you are fine-tuning the models and then you want to train your own training your own models might be extremely rare but at least fine-tuning your uh, models on your company data or something like that. that's where a lot of ml expertise comes in uh, you have to learn obviously tensorflow pytorch or hugging face at least and how do you run how do you run these trainings how do you uh, set up the trainings on GPUs and stuff like that. Uh, but in the initial stage, um, the easiest way is to play with these. Uh, there's a very good um, video by um, Jeremy Howard. He has created a one and a half hour video on like, uh, uh, I forgot the name, but it is something like LLMs for hackers. Uh, something like that so it's it's uh, it's on how do you get your hands dirty with uh, these uh, llms you don't have to blow a lot of the lot of the te technical details but you can still um work around with them to get at least improve on your pro uh, uh, what do you say <clears throat> prompt engineering skills and then in the in the end he gets into a bit more technical stuff where 
if you have some python programming experience you can um do the api calling from your notebook you can build your own stuff uh, very simple stuff uh, again even there you don't need to have any ml expertise you just need to have some programming experience how do you run python how do you run uh, your own jupyter notebooks google collab these are all basic stuff again once you enter the area of fine tuning or quantization stuff like that that's when you need to develop these uh, um uh, other skills that are more technical but in the stage prompt engineering the the only way to learn is to play around with them and maybe you can just search for some standard prompts uh online you can try try with them but uh, you will very quickly develop an intuition of like what work what will not work and that's only possible that you uh, work with them as much as possible okay so that's all for today and uh, thanks a lot for joining the call so guys if you have any questions for us today then please put it in the comment we'll reach out to satvik and we'll get your answers and uh, thanks a lot satvik uh, thanks a lot for sharing your uh, journey and your experiences it was a great session today we learned a lots of new things and let's meet sometime next next time